Welcome to Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today we are honored to be joined by our distinguished guest, Mr. Hugh Williams. Hugh is the uh, he's the principal at Quill Merchant Advisors, as well as various other enterprises. And he wears multiple hats, but each of them contribute to his expertise in strategic growth and entrepreneurship. His involvement with Sterling Bay as the director of strategic growth and entrepreneurship showcases his dedication and driving innovation and success in the real estate industry, among others. And so at Quill, uh, Hugh and his team, they adopt a very comprehensive approach and they dive deep into all their clients' businesses to craft strategies that help foster growth and overcome challenges. So whether it's working with investors, occupiers, landlords, tenants, developers, Hugh's proficiency really shines through in his experience and all the things that he's done. This particular conversation, because we talk about his journey as, as a youth and getting into sports and the coaches and leaders that he's had around him and how they've helped develop his mindset and how he moves forward in his career and everything that he's doing, his day-to-day work and his leadership style. So here we go. Without any further ado, Mr. Hugh Williams. Williams, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dustin Sutton. Appreciate it. Before we jump into the deep end, can you just uh, announce yourself and a little bit about what you do? Sure. My name is Hugh Williams, uh, founder, co-founder of Quill Merchant Advisors. We are a holding company with a strong interest in real estate and uh, we're, all right, hold on, let me think about this. Now you I should know this. We were just talking about this. You wear so many hats, do so many things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many hats, so many things. No, but we're, uh, I'm the chairman and co-founding and co-founder of Quill Merchant Advisors. And the way to look at us is we are a holding company with interest in real estate and third-party consulting. And we have our own uh, fund where we're direct investors in the the companies. So we are a company. We're, We're a business. You're... From everything that we talked about and what right. I know you're doing, you you guys are a movement. That's what you are. So right. there's a couple of things that we're going to talk about later about what you're doing mm-hmm. and some of the projects that are really case studies and of who, who you guys are and what you do. But before we get there, can you talk a little bit about your upbringing, like where, where you started, where the Hugh Williams story started? Yeah, the Hugh Williams story started in Kingston, Jamaica, man. That was, that's where I was born. And uh, my parents grew up a mile from each other. So my parents are from a very small uh, community, but uh, a community with a little bit of that is renowned because it's the base of the Blue Mountain Coffee region. And Blue Mountain Coffee is one of the most, uh, used to be the most expensive coffee in the world, but my grandfather worked at a coffee factory. So I used used to go uh, meet him after work and walk home with him and hang out with him and some of his friends after work. And then my parents moved to the, emigrated to the States when I was in Elementary school. I grew up in uh, Davenport, Iowa, which is uh, you know not a lot of Jamaicans move from uh, 
Jamaica to Iowa, but it was a great uh, experience. I loved growing up in Davenport and uh, my mother and father, and I've got two brothers were just, uh, I've got an incredible family, an incredibly close family, and uh, very much shaped and molded me. And then uh, spent my formative years in Davenport, finished high school in the Chicago metropolitan area, greater Chicago land, and ended up uh, earning a football scholarship to go to Northwestern. And, but by the way, I was a national merit scholar. I always like to put that out there because what happens when you're a football player and when you're a black football player, everyone thinks that you got something that you didn't deserve, mm-hmm. whether it's an education or anything. So, um, uh, ended up going to Northwestern, went to undergrad and grad school there. And, and from there, uh, I uh, fell in love with real estate through some relationships, some folks that I knew. And that's, uh, that's my life story in less than two minutes. All right. Well, let's, let's expand on some of these items because you, you brought up that coming from Jamaica to Iowa when you were in elementary school. So how, how just, old were you at this? I just started elementary school. So first grade, uh, kindergarten just, just started. So what was it that, that brought your parents over there? Was it a job opportunity or was there? Yeah, so Jamaica used to give scholarships to come study in the States. And my father, uh, who is, he, he, my father has five U.S. patents with Caterpillar. Uh, he's a mechanical engineer. And so he ended up uh, going to the Milwaukee School of Engineering. And he, he said that his plan was never to stay in the States, but I don't really believe that was the case. And uh, <laughs> he uh, uh, got a job with Caterpillar. Um, and that's how the family ended up out there. And then my young, my brother, we left him in Jamaica for a period of time until his papers got worked out. Uh, and then he came uh, a year or so after my mother and I uh, immigrated. And so then my youngest brother was born in the States. So, but uh, that's how they, uh, that's how we ended up there. But we used to go back to Jamaica quite a bit uh, when I was grown up. And uh, Jamaica is a place that I hold very near and dear to my heart, especially because that's where all my people are from, right? Yeah. So uh, that's, uh, that's how we ended up there. What type of patents does your dad hold? Oh man, uh, joints for uh, you know something that holds two blades together on a tractor. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, yeah. it's a, I I couldn't even tell you. But what I will tell you is that uh, he worked at the uh, large wheel loader plant, and when we uh, when you walk into the wheel loader plant, there's a wall of patents. And it's a really nice thing that they have out there. And so my dad's name is there a few times. And, you know, it's stuff that, you know, people have patents on door lights, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's uh, but it's stuff that were, was essential for uh, the tractors that he was working on. And so, um, you know, really, really quite proud of uh, the work that he's done. Yeah, so, that's really cool. And so... Yeah. Were you growing up as this, you know, son of an engineer and doing all those things? Did you yeah. did you pick up on anything growing up uh, on no, the way man, you looked at me? No, no, none of that. No, 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 no. I, I think that uh, my 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 maternal grandfather he was a guy. He uh, was a tradesman, and so he was building houses for people. I mean, he carved furniture, made for. I mean, he was a real craftsman. And then my dad was an engineer. And I'm pretty sure they both looked at me and they're like, how the hell is this guy even related to us? Because 
I, I don't, you know, I didn't, I don't think in a linear fashion and I don't have the ability to make anything. So, uh, I would say that I am very different from my father and my grandfather in, in that way. I think that, uh, I was always a person who, when I was young, and this is another story with my dad, you know, again, both my parents were really influential for me, but I had a paper route, right? And then my dad would help me on Sunday mornings because the paper was so big on Sundays, the Quad City Times I delivered. And then I put flyers in the paper route to mow people's lawns and had a little lawn mowing business, you know, a little car wash business. I was that guy, you know, because I grew up in a neighborhood. Uh, it was a good sized neighborhood and you kind of got to know people in your neighborhood and people would hire you to, to do stuff. And so, um, I've always leaned just towards doing things. And the name of that company was called Neighborhood Enterprises. My dad helped me draw a logo and put it, put it in the newspaper. So that's it. Yeah. I would say the engineering stuff, I, I, I look at those skill sets and I wish that I had them because I think it, you know, make me better overall, but you know, what can you do? Well, and you, based on what you're doing now, like you leaned into your strengths. If you had that entrepreneurial spirit as a child, I mean, you, you sure developed that well in, in what you're doing. Did you, did you know in high school kind of what you wanted to do? Was there anything besides, um, you know, those, those service industry items sure. was there anything I, that I, jumped I, out that you were like, this, this is kind of where I see my career path going. Well, I said that I wanted to be a doctor from a very young age because I think, uh, again, when you go back and forth to a place like Jamaica, there's not a lot of healthcare and mm. the, the doctors are revered and maybe I was into being revered. <laughs> and, and, uh, so I took the MCATs in college and, and, um, but it wasn't really ever a driving, uh, it was just never anything that drove me. I mean, I, I was really much more in college. I, I played, uh, I played football. I was captain of the football team, co-captain. But I had a painting franchise, a college pro painting, college pro painters franchise, right? So I was always leaning into doing entrepreneurial type things. And after I finished school, and I went to graduate school at Northwestern as well, I went on exactly two job interviews. And they were one was for a big uh, magazine. And the other was for a, a significant media company. And one of the interviews I went just because they flew a group of us out on their private plane, which I thought was kind of cool. And I hadn't been on a private jet before. So, but I came back and I called my mom and I said, Ma, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't go get this job or I can't do this. And she said, Oh yeah, why? And I said, Well, look, I sit in this room and four people come in and interview me. And then there are 14,000 people who work at this, who work at this company. And, I don't even know how you stand out and not that standing out is a thing, but you know, it, it just looked like work a day world. And mm. I have a healthy respect for work a day world and people who work and, and, but just from a personality standpoint, it was never gonna, it was never gonna work for me. So I had yeah. to, so I became a real estate broker or a commercial real estate broker. And, and so when you were in college, you mentioned, you mentioned you were the captain of your team. Yeah. What, what year did you, well, first of all, in high school, were you, I guess, were you also the captain of the team in high school? Well, your high school football so team? here, here's, here's how it went for me. I mean, I was always a pretty good athlete and I was, I don't even think we put it this way. I'm sure I was a captain of the team in high school, but I just don't, 
remember. I think our coaches, we had maybe game captains or, you know, I don't, you know, uh, but it was always sort of the same guys over and over again. But as a freshman in high school, I played varsity soccer. And then I decided to play football because uh, I played backyard football and I thought it would just be fun to play football. And we moved to a new school and I looked around the school and I felt like I could take advantage of the guys walking around the hallway. You know, they weren't exactly... <laughs> <laughs> they, they believe it or not, uh, Davenport, Iowa, where I was from, just an incredible athletic base, and and uh, and I just would have probably never played football there, just because it, Roger Craig, a bunch of guys from Davenport, uh, went on to play in college, big programs in the NFL, and so then I uh, just decided to, to play football. And then as a wrestler, I was an all-state wrestler. I came in third in state, and and. Um, I was probably a better wrestler than a football player. I was just a guy who competed, but mm. sort of a natural competitor, right? I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time. Uh, you know, today these kids are doing things year round and training and all that stuff. I mean, I played in season, and that was it. My parents came mm -hmm. to the games. My mom didn't come to wrestling matches though because she didn't like it. <laughs> and, and then, uh, uh, you know, so that's how that's how it went, and. So I was always one of the people, one of the guys who was good. Mm. And, and then I had an expectation of being good and, uh, or at least good enough to play. And so that's how, just how I approached it. And I don't remember what the question was that you asked me, but, uh, well, I think what, what I'm really getting at is, is that leadership quality right. and, and what you were doing as a captain of your football team in, in college how would you describe your leadership style? I, I think my Maybe not even just football, but just in general, like you leading your company, sure. you leading your division. Like how would you describe that and how has that arced over time? Yeah, my leadership, my leadership style is very um, flexible. I'm – my high school coach, I, I'll tell you, I'll give you two, I guess, vignettes of, of – of, uh, uh, the people who've been influential in my life from a coaching standpoint. So my high school coach, uh, BJ Luke, uh, he's, uh, one of my friends to today. And we, you know, uh, he used to say to me one day, he called me into his office. This is a story I tell all the time. He called me into his office and he said, Hey, Hugh, uh, you know, you had a pretty good year last year. And I said, yeah, I did coach. And he said, you're a pretty good player. And I said, yeah, I am. you know, you know, he's just made, pumping me up, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and then he said, you, you have a minute. You want to watch some film? So I said, sure. So we went and sat down, and my coach made a 10-minute low-light film of, 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 of every missed uh, block that I had, because at the time I was a running back, uh, when I fumbled the ball, missed assignments. And, and you know, it was just horrifying. I actually cried. I mean, I was crying during this, uh, during this meeting. And I left thinking, well, I just got to get better, right? And uh, mm. and I, and in order for me, in order for our team to do what we, in order for our team to perform and make it to the playoffs and win some games, which my high school had never done before, then I had to be a better player and a better steward. And then, you know, when I got to uh, college, I had a coach who was a terrible coach, by the way, but he said something that made me, that I always use to this day. And, he's, and one of them is, you're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are. 
And, and, uh, that always stuck with me because you, know, you got to have a mindset of, of, uh, making plays and forgetting about what happened. And, 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 um, my defensive coordinator and, and Northwestern Gary Barnett and Ron Vanderlyn and my defensive coordinator and, and, uh, uh, head coach respectively, they both also said things to me that, that, uh, resonated with what I will talk to you about eventually with my leadership style. So Coach Barnett was a person that was very focused on winning. His whole approach to life and to uh, what he wanted to accomplish at Northwestern was about winning, game planning to win, working out to win. There was no, there was never any discussion about not winning, right? And he put these shirts, we all had these shirts that said expect victory. And then he came and was at a basketball game. He said, hey, I'm going to take the purple to Pasadena. I mean, come on, taking Northwestern to, to to win the Big Ten, right? This is what people, these are, you know, even guys on the team were like, come on, yeah, right? And then uh, uh, I think setting a vision and, a, and an expectation that you are going to win, uh, creating a core uh, standard of, uh, behavior. We, at Quill Merchant Advisors, we have a thing called the four C's of Quill. I think we might add a fifth to it, but the four C's are care. We really care about what we, what we do and we care about our fellow teammates, um, connection. We are connected, right? We're all connected with everyone is a brand contact for someone else. And we're always thinking of the ways to leverage our connectivity on the, on behalf of our, clients um creativity we've got to bring creativity to to the forefront when we whenever we do something because um lots of times you're dealing with complex issues and then uh confidence earned confidence right the the foreseen meaning that we are confident in what we do uh, because we've proven that we can do it and then we're confident that we can be provide some leadership to 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 you. So uh, I think that what Gary did for me was set an organizational tone, right? And set expectations. And then uh, Coach uh, Vanderlinden, he said, hey, man, great players make great plays, right? I mean, in its simplest form, like that's it. When there's an opportunity for you to make an impact, you have to do it, right? You you can't miss that tackle on the goal line. It's not going to be third and bench 250 pounds or whatever it is. And, and, and uh, those were guys that were good at putting people in positions to succeed. And I am very interested in leaning into what you excel at. I don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe in passion. I don't believe Mm -hmm. that you, I don't, I don't believe that you, I don't believe that the secret to success is passion. I think the secret to success is being good at something, understanding what you're good at and leveraging, leveraging that strength. I I just think people spend a lot of time working on their weaknesses and I don't really, personally, I don't understand that. I mean, I think you can round yourself out on the bottom, but where you win is by stretching out the top. Right. And, and, uh, you know, if you got a guy that can only come off the edge, don't ask him to cover someone in space. Have him come off the edge, right? Yeah. Because if he's really good at coming off the edge, he's going to make some plays for you coming off the edge. But when you ask him, when you put him in space, 
that could be a problem. So that, why bother? Yeah, and, and that's one of the no, – I, I, that resonates deeply with me, especially leveraging your strengths. And that's one of the things that I'm really – I like to do with this platform and the tools, talents, and techniques because the things that you've learned from your coaches and your experience and, and you know, the people in your community, your parents, your, your mm-hmm. family, like all of these things that you're learning along the way are transferable. So like you're learning this in football, but now you're running your organization and your company – then boom, the four C's, right? And right, then right. now all those things that you can you can lead by that and it makes sense because it's more of a holistic view. Like, and you understand, you live the values. It's not just like some words that they sound cool. Right. Like, no, yeah. no, this is why they work. This, this is, is why, why. Yeah, this is why they work. And I will tell you this, that um, the, the, the values. So I, I worked at any number of companies where once a year they would bring in some sales trainer, right? And that, that trainer would change from year to year. They put you through two days of sales training and then they, you know, they forget about it. And then, so it wasn't, there was nothing that was ingrained culturally in any organization, right? And, and I remember I'd work at places and they'd say, oh, we're a family. I'm like, we're not a family, right? Because uh, even my t- football players, like, we're not family. We're, we're people with a common goal, right? Mm. And then these companies would say, well, we're a team. And I would say, no, you know, the one thing I can say from playing sports and competing at a high level, and I wrestled in college my freshman year, is that the meaning of team is very different on the, in a competitive world than it is in, than it is in a, uh, the meaning of team is very different in a competitive world than it is in the business world. Because let me tell you, when you're on a team, uh, everybody's giving it to you, right? So your coach is filming you in practice and right after practice, you are sitting in the room with nine of your closest friends who all want to take your position and they, and your coach says, why did you take that step, Hugh? What were you looking at? Why did you take that step? Why did you take that step? How deep was your drop? Your drop was supposed to be 10 yards. You took a seven-yard drop. You know what that does to the DB, right? I mean, and in the real world, in the business world, uh, no one gets feedback. And no one understands that you, you all have to be pulling in the same direction because so many people are used to just being on their little island and not recognizing that you're part of an ecosystem. We use the word ecosystem a lot at Quill Merchant Advisors because we're, we're all interconnected. And my success is dependent upon uh, everyone's, you know, is dependent on the person's success who sits next to me. It's dependent upon, um, you know, my assistant's success. I mean, you know, I lean on her. I mean, so everyone's success is dependent on everyone else. And that's why we've got an organizational development component. Um, the fellow that we hired to help us come up with the four C's, we meet regularly uh, with the team. And as we're building this company and this organization, we're very focused on that. And, you know, my leadership style, uh, I'm sure it could be improved because I like to give people enough rope and give them direction and let them do it. And then I sort of, get mad, which is not the, uh, <laughs> which is not, which is not the way, but yeah, I think that you gotta, 
you got to let people grow. You got to give them um, opportunity for growth. And but I also try to be willing to listen and give advice. And you know, I think you just got to be open to hearing people. And that's uh, I, I one of my heroes in life, Dustin. He uh, he gave me one day we're sitting around at his house. And by the way. He is incredible. It was an S&P, uh, CEO of an S&P 500 company that he effectively built and Morningstar CEO of the year. And we're sitting at his house and he said, hey, you, you, you want to know what uh, my philosophy in life is? And he got up and he wrote on his wall because, I mean, it was like, he was tearing down this house anyway. And he wrote. Um, <laughs> First of all, you know, that, that's amazing to hear you say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, yeah, no, that's a long story, but like, you know, we would hang out at this house pre demo and uh, uh, wrote on the wall uh, on the x axis, x axis, you wrote positive or, you know, positive and optimistic, and then uh, no, optimistic, pessimistic, and positive and negative. And he said, I only like to spend my time with people in this quadrant who are positive and optimistic, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody else, I have no interest in. You got to no. be positive and optimistic. And then from a leadership standpoint, his style was, hey, I, we meet at the beginning of the year. We give goals to his team. And then uh, we meet at the end of the year. And if you didn't meet those goals, you've got, there's a price to pay for that. Right? Wow. And yeah. And so, I, you know, my heroes, I'm fortunate to say that my heroes in life are all people that I know. Right. And they've, and, and, uh, you know, it's not Michael Jordan, although I love Michael Jordan. Right. But that, that's, uh, and they're all people who have been doers and who've executed at a high level and gotten things done. And, um, you know, I try to take little tidbits from everyone, but I love that, I, you know, the positive and optimistic thing is something that I'll take with me for the forever. Yeah. So you, one, that's, one that's, one of the things that jumped out to me when you said that, you said, one of my heroes, and they said, I'm sitting at his house. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, that's good. Yeah. That's good yeah. that um, that you're able to do that and you find the people that you admire, that you respect, and that you can spend that time with them. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So what, well, what, what, one of the things that um, – that you that you you're talking about and spending that time and also what you said about giving people enough bandwidth to right. to learn and make the mistakes and I think a big part of that is understand and, and yeah this is this, I'm, this is, isn't a question here yeah. but hopefully this this resonates with you is understanding how much rope to give somebody and right. understand like what what is enough that they they can make mistakes and they can learn from them mm -hmm. they they have enough to, room to really impress you with what they're doing but mm -hmm. if they do make a mistake there there's no there's no there's a backflow there like it's not going to be a fatal mistake they're not going to bring right. down the whole ship by yeah no, doing this no, project no. so being aware of that yeah right yeah no you you within within giving people rope uh not everyone deserves rope and not everyone deserves the same amount of rope Right. And my, uh, again, my high school coach used to say, guys, I play favorites. I play favorites. I have favorite players. And you know who my favorite players are? My favorite players are the guys who are running hard every play or the guy who doesn't miss practice or the guy who's leading the sprints or the guy who's in the weight room every day. Right. 
or the guy who comes in and watches film in the morning, I play favorites, right? And that's the, that's the world is the world, you know, resources flow to those who deserve them and those who can make something happen with them. So yeah, I mean, not everyone has the same amount of rope and, and, you know, people get pulled quicker for a variety of reasons. But you've got to let, you have to let people know that you believe in them and that, uh, I, you know, I was sitting around about a month ago and, uh, people were talking about trusting people and, and work. And, and I adopted this phrase that, you know, someone called me about reviewing some document and I said, Hey man, I trust you. You're, a, I think, I think you're good at what you do. So we don't have to talk about it because what'll happen is, people get afraid to make mistakes and then they want to run everything past you or past someone else. And that is no way for a company to grow. And Mm -hmm. you need, you know, you just got to empower people to, to make decisions and feel like, you know, it likely won't be fatal. (laughs) Well, well, I, well, I love that the, the qualifier you put on, the last C, which is the confidence. And you said earned confidence Yeah, because, you know, people, one, there's a screening process. I'm sure when you're doing your hiring and you're bringing people Mm. on the team, you're giving them the tools to, to have success, but then, you know, they earn those steps. They earn that rope. They earn that confidence. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I want to, I want to make sure that we start talking about some of the projects that, that Quill has been engaged in. And I know there mm-hmm. was a deal in Houston that we touched upon. Um, can you tell me about that deal? And Sure. Sure. So the, the Quill, Quill Merchant Advisors, and at, at, uh, you know, we touched on this at the beginning, but we re, we re, we've got a Quill Consulting Partners, which is led by uh, two women um, who come from McKenzie and West Monroe Partners, respectively. And then we've got Quill Capital Partners, which is um, led by a, a, a guy who is comes from a, 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 the first publicly traded black business in America, that lineage, and, and, and runs that business. And then we've got uh, Quill RE, which is a kind of a separate component, but also can be seen as part of the, uh, the, the, the Quill Capital uh, advisory business. And, and we are creating a system where we want to work together on every opportunity that comes to our plate, right? So our real estate folks are the front door to many opportunities on the consulting side and even on the capital side. But in, in uh, Houston, uh, we just completed a 177,000 square foot uh, lease transaction on the behalf of Umoja Supply Chain Solutions. Now, Umoja Supply Chain Solutions is a company that I co-founded with a former client of mine now we are business partners uh Todd Avery who used to be the CEO of uh McLean Global and so uh this was an example of uh our brokerage team led by a fellow named Matt Knafel who's been my partner for many years um went down to Houston led this uh led this tour we we ended up negotiating uh, a lease that was about 20% below market we we just timed it in an incredibly perfect timing from uh, from a timing standpoint and that business umoja's business is uh expanding we're in california and ohio and texas 
but that has allowed us to increase our number of pallet positions significantly. And Umoja, while Umoja is a client of that business, we also have a third-party logistics business that is operates out of that warehouse. So our third-party logistics business, which is led by Mauricio Gallego, he uh, is building up that uh, you know our client base there while we speak. So with that one transaction, um, our brokerage division was compensated, right? Umoja supply chain solutions. Uh, well, they were also compensated because of a fee-sharing agreement, but also because uh, what Umoja's footprint expanded. And then our third-party logistics business, uh, which supports Umoja, but is also its own separate entity, has uh, is now uh, increased its footprint as well. And so it, when I was coming up in the real estate business, it's a numbers game. You got to have a lot of clients doing a lot of deals all the time. But if you're, but you're only doing a real estate deal, right? And mm. a real, you're only focused on a real estate transaction. And I don't care what anybody says. All these big white shoe firms who talk about doing all these things. I used to be at one of these firms. They, you know, from a real estate perspective, when you go in to talk to some of these companies, what they see you as, as, as a real estate jockey at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how white your shoes are or how blue your tie is. And, and it's very hard to convince them to, to do anything else with you. And by, and if you do convince them to do something else with you, then you and your brokers are at arms because people are fighting over fees internally. It's just a very tough thing. And mm. we've just received so much positive mojo from how uh, people receive us when we're talking about leveraging what, we, what we're doing. We say, hey, we don't bring... Uh, the best we have, we bring the best there is, right? So if you need finance help, we have our CFO and our finance team is unbelievable, but we can bring in other groups. We can, you know, we, we try to leverage as much as we can to do as many things as we can for a client. And then uh, once we get in the door, if we get in the door on the consulting side, it's so easy to sell our real estate related services and, and it's so easy to sell our IT related services. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm very interested to see where we end up. I mean, I think that we are are building a a unique and dangerous little animal. Well, let's go. Let's go back for a second because I think we. I, I guess we. My, my bad. My bad. As the interviewer, we skipped yeah. over like when because you started out as a broker, and then can you, can you go through that genesis after um, you started in the broker? Like, how did you expand from originally just being the, a broker? Hey, myself personally. Yes. Uh, yeah. So this is uh, also another one, uh, another hero in my life uh, who has founded one of the top, I think one of the top five uh, interior contracting firms in the U.S. He and I met golfing and we were, uh, he dropped out of school when he was 13, also immigrant story. And I was with him in his home country and, and he said to me, we're sitting around a table and some of his friends were sitting around with us. And, and, uh, and by the way, his friends were very successful and also guys who dropped out at various times. I mean, it was just a really wild little thing. He's from Ireland. And, uh, he said, Hey guys, Hugh's going to be unhappy that I say this, but he's too smart and too good and has too many relationships to be wasting his time doing what he's doing. Right. And, uh, and I, and I, uh, you know, I thought about that, and it took me a couple of years to leave 
um, the pure brokerage world. But I, ever since I got into brokerage, I, as I, I became an industrial broker because I wanted to buy buildings, right? And mm. it seemed to me that the easiest uh, way to buy a building was to learn the game from a brokerage standpoint. Also, another one of my heroes said, Hugh, if you want to be a developer, because I thought I wanted to be a developer, you should be a broker and learn how owners look at deals, learn how uh, users look at opportunities and build your skill set from there and then figure out how to get in the lane of development. And so industrial was, you know, four walls. Um, we had, we could do a wider variety of transactions. We could do build a suit for sale, build a suit for lease. We could do land transactions. You know, we get, do sale leasebacks. You don't, if you're doing straight commercial office, you don't have that variety of deals, right? You're just kind of looking at a few, you know, a certain type of transaction. And so I just, uh, I got into business because I wanted to buy real estate. The, my two partners at the time on the brokerage side, they were in the business for 20, 25, 30 years respectively, but great brokers, but not great wealth builders, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and And it's just... The folks that were heroic to me were the ones that always took a chance and stepped out and bought a piece of land or, you know, tried to flip a building. And so I just always, I would always think about this, always think about it, always think about it. And um, then I just started to get little hints from people that, Hugh, man, it's time. Like, if you think, if you, think you can do it, you got to do it. Otherwise, you're not, it's just never going to happen. And so I left and I started a small um, brokerage business that, uh, you know, gave me a measure of independence that said, hey, I could leave and get away from these bigger shops and big shops. And um, then right after I did that, I, think I bought a rebar fabrication business. My partners and I bought a rebar fabrication business. Um, because I said, you know, rebar is everywhere. It's in every road, every bridge, almost every building. Cause people were looking at me like I had three eyes. Like, what, why would you do that? Right. And <laughs> but you saw I, the pattern, you yeah, saw what, where it was going. I said, Hey man, uh, I know developers, I know contractors. And if every 20 months in America, you will see that a bridge collapses. Every road in America was built during the new deal. Thank you. FDR. Right. But like, if you've got 90 year old bridges and roads, uh, and the population has gone from whatever it was 180 million to 360 million people that you're going to need infrastructure, right? And rebar, I thought was a way that we could leverage, um, the need and desire for, uh, for, uh, infrastructure. Now it's been a learning experience. I mean, it hasn't been a home run and we kind of bought that business. Um, I'm going to say blindly, but what I will say is this. If I knew, if I had complete and total transparency, I probably wouldn't have bought that business. And then if I didn't buy that business, it wouldn't have given me uh, the true sense of autonomy that I have now that would have emboldened me and enabled me to do other things, right? Yeah. And so we, uh, uh, the rebar business, bought that business. And then I, my team, my partners and I represented a, a McLean a company around the country and um, the CEO of this company was one of my first cold calls ever in, in the business. And it turned out we played high school football against each other. He was a powerhouse. He played at a powerhouse program 
And he and I developed a strong uh, relationship on the client provider side, very demanding client. And one day he called me up and he said, hey, Hugh, do you think we could raise money together and start our own platform? Because I obviously had uh, the knowledge from a real estate perspective of what they were doing. And so the short strokes is uh, that's what led me into supply chain because as I was uh, a broker, I always said, you know, third-party logistics, that business is a fake business, right? There, was a, there were companies with very little credit, but it was a burgeoning business. It was, you know, and you read the paper every day and you see that, that uh, America is, you know, we're a consumer-based society. It's about getting the goods, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I always felt like there was something in, the, in that logistics space that made sense. And I wanted to be on the ownership side of logistics. And then when uh, Todd, my partner said, can we do it? Uh, we took a look at some numbers and we said, hell yeah. And we put a team together. Uh, and that's another thing that sports has allowed me to do, understand the importance of teams. So we put a team together and raised money and started this thing de novo, started our own uh, supply chain and distribution business. And then of course, that means we handle the real estate. And you know, when, as our footprint grows, uh, what I wanna do is I wanna become a large asset-based 3PL where we control a lot of that real estate, where we create the value by being the tenants in that space, sell that portfolio if we want to, refinance it, monetize it. So uh, that's how that came about. And then the merchant advisory component was, uh, I'd incorporated a uh, consulting firm. It was a minority certified, DBE certified uh, status. And it was on the shelf for a little while. Well, as we started talking to our customer, our clients, people would ask us for, so one of our clients uh, said, hey, could you help us automate our warehouse? And the reason why they asked was because they knew that we had experience setting up a bunch of warehouses. So we said, of course we can. And <laughs> we started to take people off our bench and put them on third-party jobs. And, uh, you know, they... Uh, our internal folks were delighted because there was uh, opportunity for to earn extra income because I'm I'm a big fan of compensating people and then uh, externally the clients were happy because you know when in the consulting world you get a lot of folks who are not practitioners right they're mm. observers and by the way very smart observ uh, observations and 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 very, very intuitive, but that's a lot different than a person who's actually, uh, you know, built out uh, warehouse management software or uh, implemented a new ERP, mm -hmm. actually implement or had to go through that data collection process or had to refinance some assets, right? That's a lot different than the smart person saying, you should do this and you should do that. So there's been a strong and positive receptivity to to what we've done. And now, uh, now it's going to turn into something where I'm going to feed the entrepreneurial fire that I have because, you know, we're getting so many looks at so many different opportunities for businesses to invest in. We own a rebar business. Um, we own part of a, uh, a meat distribution business that started out as a client. <laughs> we've got a, we've got a small piece of this company. We've got a canning company. 
and and uh, you know where we 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 make uh, pasta sauce things like that for third parties. Uh, we just uh, we've got a, a studio component. In what we do hired a very talented guy on the consulting side, and and uh, you know I've taken the approach that uh, within reason, there's nothing that we cannot find the right resource to do. And as we build out our business units, well, I mean, we're going to, we're going to uh, be pretty defined rel- in relatively short order, but I just think that we're going to be really dangerous when I mean, we're owners, investors, advisors. And well, you're on your way. It. And one, of, one yeah. of the things that I've realized, like you are so vertically integrated, but you're really horizontally vertically right. integrated as well. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot of different things. Um, and I think from your experience, especially being on that, on, on the, um, on the real estate side and then the advisory side, like you have access to see how people do it and what works, what doesn't work, who does it well, right. who do you want to bring on your team, who you don't, you right. know, you have access to a lot of, a lot of data. Yeah, no, that's it. It's, it's access to data, the inputs, people, you know, you look at these companies and look at, I, I just read that KKR wanted to have, I don't know, 750 billion of assets on their management. It's like, some ungodly number, right? And mm-hmm. and then you look at I mean their their firm is massive. I mean what information don't they have, right? And mm-hmm. Blackstone, what information does Blackstone probably knows as much about us as the government does, right? Because of the various companies that they own. So I'm fascinated by that. And I think that if you can bring more services uh to bear for or as you build an organization like that and more services that generate fees, you know, it's like that, uh, that saying you know, the Native Americans, when they killed a, a buffalo, they used every part of the buffalo, right? Uh, so that's, that's my, that's my goal. I want us to do as much as we can with every single client and not just, you know, kill well, it I, for I its think- fur. I think one of the things that you mentioned before when you talked about feedback, when you said, you know, this is how the feedback you get on the team. And then in the real world, you know, certain things, you don't get that feedback. And I, from what it sounds like your mindset and your approach is like, you're all the information that you're learning, you're bringing it back and you're saying, Hey, let's look at this opportunity. Let's do this. And how do we do this? And how do we do it better? And how we succeed? So that's, that's very tell. I mean, that's that's very smart to to be able to do that and be able to have a team that you're working with that you can. And this dovetails with another thing that you said about being a doer, not just not just an observer. Right. I heard Obama say in an interview something recently where he's like, "There's a lot of people that can tell you what's wrong. There's yeah. a lot of people that can tell you like what they see and why something happened." He's like, right. "But there's not that many people that can actually." Do something like actually right. fix. Yeah. Okay, good. You you point it out. Let it fix it. So yeah. it's cool well, got, to see I, that you're 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 an implementer. You're a doer. I love. I got. I'd, I'd love to see that man because yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. It is, and and I think that was part of my problem. There, I would tell people what I'm interested in doing, and they would just piss all over it, you know, or tell tell me what they thought was wrong or what you know. And it, it got to a point where maybe I became a little defensive and I just said, you know what? I'm going to do what I think makes sense to do. Like you go pound sand and you do what you do, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And uh, we'll just see how it goes. And um, I think uh, President Obama was right. that lots of people tell you what's wrong, man. And, and I, I don't participate in idle. Uh, I've got a couple of friends who love to talk about politics. And I go, guys, 
Uh, are any of you running for office? Are any of you going door to door? Are any of you doing anything besides just running your yap? And I just don't want to hear it unless yeah. you're doing something. So like, that's the world that I come from, man. You know, that, that's it. So for, for you and like how you're, how you're looking at thing and you taking these chances. And I mm-hmm. think this is the same thing about you giving other people rope and you, for, for you to say, you know, I'm going to give this a try. Like I'm going to give mm-hmm. this a shot. Can you talk about your thought process when you are analyzing a whatever it is, whether it's a, a new lease, whether it's investing in a company, hire like what is your decision making process? How do you analyze data before you before you leap? Yeah, well, first I have some people who really can uh, grind out some outputs from inputs, you know, from a uh, financial analytical from a modeling perspective. Yeah. yeah, from mm-hmm. a yeah, modeling perspective. And, you know, I do some consulting with uh, uh, Sterling Bay, which is one of the largest, uh, certainly the highest profile developer in Chicago and, and doing a lot of things around the country. And the CEO of Sterling Bay is a guy I have a tremendous amount of respect for because he is excited about every deal. So I get excited about, I mean, you know, my first instinct is to be excited about an opportunity, right? And um, And then it might only take me two minutes to go, ah, well, that's a bad idea, but I'm sort of excited about every new opportunity that's brought to me. And I feel like I owe that a minute or two of mind space to, to, uh, consider. And, and then from there, there are a couple of people that I, I talk to quite a bit whose opinions I really trust and we might mull it, mull it over, but I look at it like, we have this theory where we call it's the edge theory and it's, do we have an edge? Can we leverage our talent internally um, in a way that benefits this opportunity? If we buy this packaging company, could Umoja on the on the distribution side, would Umoja benefit from it, right? And so if the answer is yes, that there's an edge to doing what we, to doing what, uh, um, to, to evaluating this opportunity, then we look at it that much harder, right? So if someone uh, brought me a, uh, I tell you uh, about a deal that we did not do. It was kind of security based, and there's, um, you know, if if I controlled a bunch of buildings and needed a bunch of security, boom, 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 then maybe I would do a deal like that, right? But but because at the moment that we didn't, it, it didn't make sense. So it's definitely can we leverage something internally? Can we leverage our 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 people? Will our companies benefit from it? That's really the first step in evaluating something. But uh, the, I'm just excited to get an idea brought to me because I, you know, I just think that everything starts with an idea, and mm. I love ideas and I love. Yeah, so we have this cool studios fellow, and he's a creative type, and I just love having creative people around me because they think in such a different way and they bring all sorts of ideas to the front and. You know, it's no secret that mathematicians and artists, they're both uh, right brain people, right? They're spatially gifted and you need these people to see things that other people don't see. And so I, you know, I just think it's a long way of saying that I get excited. I get excited about every idea. Uh, we've got some strong analysts who can help vet the financial viability of an idea. Um, I try, try not to make bets on our 
gut, but bets on whether or not we have an edge. Can we leverage, can I leverage the person in the office next door in a way that's going to be beneficial to this opportunity? And no. if, if the answer is yes, then we keep it going. You, this, so I like that edge theory. So yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. I like that because it's, it's so tangible. Like you think about it in a, in a way and, it, and it's succinct. I like that. Um, and, it's something I probably think know, of, edge, but it's, no, but, 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 you know, so I told this to a little people. I said, hey, leverage is a very important word. And two words in America that you really have to understand. No is an empowering word and leverage. That's the, the that's another word, right? So you, if you tell people no, that means you have agency. It's simple. I, I, you, know, you don't want to play outside, just say no, right? And you mm-hmm. don't want to, you know, it gives you agency over your world. And then leverage is... If you play sports, it's the most important thing. When you play football, you got, if you're on defense, you got to get to the edge. You got to maintain the edge. You got to be in position. You got to hold the edge. And if you're a running back or if you're a back, if you're a receiver, your whole goal is to get to the edge, right? If you get to the edge, defense has got a problem because you're running down the sideline at that point, right? And so it's all about getting the edge and – and we called our, our, we were calling our first fund, the, the, the edge fund, um, mm. because we are focused on getting the edge, maintaining the edge and, and, um, exploiting the edge. That's what we want to do. You mentioned about creativity and mm. why that's important. It's actually, you know, included in, in your core values. Um, you know, I think it was number three, right. In the, right? the, the four yeah. So that. Being creative or being around creative people and having that, and, and you alluded to this when you said that like, you get excited about ideas because you see the potential. Right. Also, it's good to have people that are analytical around you and have that yourself sometimes to kind of, well, these, this is the things that we need to look at. But one thing that I've realized, is, especially in the, in the recent years, like, you, creativity can often come from, well, one, from desperation. Sometimes you just right. got to be creative. Right. But I feel like the best creativity comes from a place of um, less anxiety. Like you, you can, you, you have enough freedom, you have enough like right. security where you have some space to be cre- to be creative and to be free to, to think outside the box. Uh, I just think that's so important. And that's something that, um, you know, if we, if you can give more people that space and that freedom to make those choices and make those decisions and then, mm-hmm. You don't have to tell them exactly what to do. Like, right. hey, here, this was this is what needs to be done. You know, g- agency, like you said, like go yeah. go for it. See what see what yeah. you can come up with. Yeah, you, go for it. Give, give people the opportunity to surprise you. Right, exactly. That's it. I like that. Give people the opportunity to surprise you. I'm gonna steal that. You got it. All yours. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So be- before we before we take off, I want to yeah. make sure I give you the opportunity. Is there any final words of? wisdom something that you've learned through your journey something you're working on the floor is yours share what you will yeah i think uh very simple quote from my parents in terms of words of wisdom and i don't believe you can live your life by any man's words by the way right so i I try to think of things uh very simply but uh i know my mom and dad used to always say this to me and say hey if you push on the door and it doesn't open, pull on it, <laughs> right? It's like very simple. And it's just, 
keep trying. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be, uh, the greatest, uh, thing in the world. Just, uh, you know, keep it moving. And then, you know, my dad used to say that to me a lot. And then my mom, uh, I won't bore you with the details now, but she gave me a speech once about being uh, a second choice and you just can't stand, you know, don't stand for that. And just know that whatever decision that you make, you're the ultimate arbiter of your, um, next move. Right. And Mm -hmm. just don't let, don't let people put you in a box and, uh, that's that's it, and don't let people put you in a box. And if the door doesn't push when you open, pull on it. Right? Real I love simple. It. That's it. I love it. Yeah. So I well, appreciate it, man. Well, no, I, I appreciate I appreciate you spending this time and sharing your story. You you're doing some amazing things, and and uh, yeah, congrats on your success. And and here we go, hey, man. Good luck. More good to luck come. to you, by the way. I'm really really delighted to see what you're doing with the BCREN and and. Uh, you know, your efforts there. I mean, uh, you know, getting something going is a hard, hard thing to do, man. So I really, I, I really, uh, appreciate and support your efforts. So thank you for yeah. having me on the show. Well, well, thank you. And you know, one of the things that, you know, the old expression, if you shoot for the, the moon, you'd end up among the stars. Like that's right, right. one of the things that, I mean, I, I think of sometimes like you got to take a shot. You got it. You got to shoot right. your shot. You got to try and you'll learn. But one of the, one of the big things that I've learned is that when you try, it attracts other people that right. are like, Hey, I, I like that you try. I like that you take your shot. And, right. and these are the, and then going back to what you said about leaning into your strengths, then you can find your strengths right. by trying. But if you don't do anything, if you don't try, you're not going to figure out what you're good at or what you're not, or, you know, Anything other than that. Yeah. Shoot shoot or shoot. Shoot or shoot. That's right. right. Shoot to score. That's right. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.